This is Burton Chawla, and you're listening to the Black Box Podcast. The one thing that I did learn over there, and this is this is from David and from Adam, and it trickles down through the organization that there there is a mantra there to look at things from all sorts of different angles. Right? So you and I could be negotiating over this cup of water or this microphone. You may want it more than I want to sell it, but let's find the common ground in there. If we can both walk away with it being like, that wasn't that great of a deal, that's how you know it's a good deal. Welcome to the Black Box Podcast. I am your host, Burton Chawla. This is a conversation with industry leaders in the music, sports, entertainment world. Today's guest is Julio Mantega of the National Basketball Retired Players Association. He is the head of content and communications. Formerly, he was the director of communications at the NBA covering Latin America. I'm sure I fumbled the you exact titles there, but I, but, but I think I got the gist, you right? 100%, man. Julio, You're thanks on. for doing this. I really appreciate it. Tell me what the head of content and communications at the National Basketball Retired Player Association does. Gladly, gladly. Then thank you for having me on. Uh, very happy to, one, see you after a while. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's to been be a here. minute. It's yeah, been a minute. It's been a while. Yeah. So head of content and communications, um, basically tasked with creating new content for all social podcasts, digital series surrounding all of the events with the National Basketball Retired Players Association. So that covers former NBA players, former WNBA players, ABA players, and the original uh, version of the Globetrotters. So anybody that basically played in the league at least three years is part of our membership. So we create content for them to consume, for our fans to consume, to kind of repurpose along the NBA tentpole events and during the NBA and WNBA seasons. Uh, the communications part is your typical PR guy. So my job is promoting what we're doing, our business initiatives, our CEOs, all the good stuff that not only we're doing at a national level, but that our, our local chapters are doing. We have 12 chapters across the country. Um, so, you know, for, for me, having worked... What are the chapters? What's involved in a chapter? So the chapters work more on a local level. And we're more nationally based, so and we work hand in hand with them. So I'll give you the Atlanta chapter or the yeah. Cleveland chapter or Detroit chapter. So those are guys that played in the league, men and women, at least three years, have joined the National Basketball Retired Players Association, but they're living in Detroit or they're living in Phoenix, LA. Well, what's the purpose of the chapter? What so the chapter is to keep us relevant in the community, to, okay. to spread the gospel of basketball in the community, uh, create goodwill events, charity events. So for right now, during the Thanksgiving season, all our chapters will be organizing some sort of event with local authorities and local uh, organizations, turkey giveaways, yep. Christmas, uh, you know, coat drives. Um, they also put on local events for, for businesses to kind of attract a little bit of business for them. Um, they'll do golf events. We had a really good one in Phoenix not too long ago. Uh, we, at the national level, what we try to do is not only engage with them, but keep them very relevant in the news. You, you, you got great names that are living in these cities yep. that basically is what the NBA was built on. So the last couple of weeks, we've been doing what we term our NBA alumni nights, where we will take players from the local chapter in whatever city we're in, and we'll take them to a game, get the suite, and just have a good old-fashioned, hey, let's watch basketball with you know guys that played in the league. We just did one in Detroit. We did one in Cleveland. Is everything on content that you do based around an event? Not or are there other types of content that you there's, do? There's, there's quite a few. So for a long time, we're basically a membership organization. But for a long time, that, that's so you have to join. Like if if I played in a league for or player X played in a league for five six years, whatever the number is, but 
does he or she have to formally join? We'd like for them to join. Okay. You know, to be honest, but they don't have to. They don't have to join. We consider them part of our family. Okay. You know, this is where we are the family of the round orange bouncing ball, right? right? You know, since 1946 to now, so 75 seasons. So we, we're we in a very unique situation in that we represent a very wide swath of, of basketball. So we have guys in the 50s that are still around, like Bob Cousy and Bill Russell. And you have guys that recently retired within the last couple of years that are very involved in the organization. Um, we have a board. Grant Hill, secretary of our board. We have Karan Butler on the board. Of course, he does a lot. He does, right. Grant Hill does everything. He, he may be the hardest working man in basketball. And he he's really actually is. a really nice guy. Fantastic. Yeah, I sat next to him uh, at a basketball game in December of 2019, a high school basketball game. I actually watched Cade Cunningham and Scotty Barnes play. They played really? on the same high school team. And I happened to be in Orlando. We went to the game. He's the nicest, most articulate, like thoughtful person. First it's not f- even fake. A fantastic basketball mind, fantastic basketball player in his right. own right. As a fan. Could I don't think USAB could have picked a, a better guy to to take over for Jerry yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and take over. It is just I, I think he's going to run a great program there. Yeah. I think guys are going to want to play for him. Uh, I think guys are going to want to play hard for him and participate in the Olympics. So yep. you know it's it's Grant. Grant yeah, is yeah. you know the, the the gold standard there, if you will. So. We have guys on our board. We have guys like Karamba. Cheryl Swoops is part of our board. Uh, Johnny Davis. How involved are they? Well, pretty involved. Yeah. Very involved. So they have regular meetings. They they vote. Uh, they vote on our budget, of course. Uh, they show up for events. That's the one thing that I've I noticed when I was at the NBA because I was there for almost eighteen years. That there's a fraternity and sorority of former players that they they really do stick together. I yeah. mean, they all know what it's like. Nobody else in the world except for these people that played this game know what it's like to play at this level. Right. But yeah, no, absolutely. They're involved. They come out to all the events, Las Vegas, uh, Chicago, Detroit. Are you churning out daily content? Like we're in, a, we're, we're in a space because of social media where you have to have daily content. Yes. Are you at that place right now? Yes, we are. So okay. we're in a nice rhythm right now. You can find our content at, at MBA alumni on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, NBA alumni. We're starting to delve a little bit more into TikToks just because it's such a prevalent um, medium right now. But typically, we have a nice pattern that, that we follow every day. So we start the day with days' birthdays. Every day, it's a legend's birthday, some Hall of Famers. Uh, we try to find news that's out there. That's low-hanging fruit content. It, that's it, easy. It's, yeah, low, yeah. it's low-hanging fruit, but it's also, you know, it keeps them keeps them out there. You know? Yeah, yeah. If, if I'm a I, I don't mean it player, in a bad way. Yeah, I yeah. didn't mean it in a bad way. Yeah. If I'm a former player and I see, hey, happy birthday from my organization, sure. you know, it, it's a nice way to start With some highlights or a graphic or whatever. Correct. Yeah, I get it. Yep, Correct. Yep. And we'll try to keep with whatever is current and really trending right now. So, for example, yesterday we were putting out content around uh, the KG documentary, which yep. if you haven't seen, it's, it's out of this world. On Showtime. Um, I know Eric Newman who did it. Yeah, yeah. Really, really well done. Yes, really well yes. done. So we'll put out content like that on a daily basis. We also, one of the things that we're very proud of is our exclusive content. So we're creating content around podcasts, around digital series, around animated series, because we have access to such an archive of stories, great stories. And not just the stories that you've read in the paper, but the insider. These are guys that were in the locker room, on the team planes, on the, tr- you know, flying commercial, flying charter. Right. So they come on and we basically created a forum for them to come and tell us their story, their way, right? We don't have we don't have to um, you know beat around the bush with it. We you know, are you cursing this or no? Yeah, yeah. It's how about let me let me answer that the right way. Fuck yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So none of the the traditional bullshit stories. Like you get the, you get the real deal right from the horse's mouth, and these guys love coming on and telling us their stories. And you know. Yeah, and they got good. Uh, if you talk to the right guy, every NBA player, current or former, has they have great stories because they live a very unique life. They do right. Uh, and if you get the right guy to tell you a story, it's 
hilarious and so interesting. Again, very unique, different life. I've actually sat with Charlotte All Star. I was with Charles Oakley, and if you ever heard Charles Oakley it's tell your story, one of my favorites. Oh my god, one of like, my favorites. He's missing out on so much money just doing a show where he just he tells a story and we animate the story because yep. they're insane. He told me a story about like getting into a fist fight with Deion Sanders' security detail <laughs> in Dallas when he was it. playing for the Knicks and Deion was playing it. for the like Cowboys. Literally, like he, he started the fight. I believe it. And Deion wanted to break it up. Yeah. And he's like, if this is your security guard, he doesn't need protection. Like, like Oak is like <laughs> one of those guys. All right, so you did mention the league and you were there for 18 years. Talk to me, and I do want to talk about what you did at the league, but talk to me about the – because your organization – I don't know how many employees, but it's much smaller than the league, Correct. right? The, the league is a global organization. You would know better than me, thousands and thousands of employees, where I imagine yours is less than 100 employees, maybe even yes. less than 30 employees, yeah, so right? We're, we're, in terms of staffing there, we're at about 10 people. Right. So huge distinction, right? Huge. I imagine the Big communications difference. department at the league itself is more than 10 people. So yes. talk to me about like the distinction of your role in a small organization versus in a big organization? Like where are the pros and cons on both sides of it? So pros and cons, I'll start with the pros. And for, and for me, it always goes back to one thing, it's freedom and autonomy. You and I were right. discussing this earlier. Right. For me. Autonomy means the world to me. It does, right? like it I, really like does. Every boss I've ever had since I've more mature, like since I understood autonomy meant something to me, I bring it up, yeah. right? Because I say I need autonomy. And autonomy is a hard thing to get because they'll tell you all day you have autonomy, but. But you don't, don't always have it. But right. you don't. Right. And, and there's certain people that, that can handle autonomy, and there's a certain structure that you have within autonomy. I actually find that if I work freer, I'm much more structured. Sure. Much more structured because I, 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 I tend, tend to think, take the mentality that I'm working for myself. Yep. So, and, and you are. Like, and, I, I, and you I are. say this to some of my best friends who work at organizations like the, like the NBA or the Knicks, and they love that logo, and it means something to them. But I tell them all the time, you don't work for the NBA. You work for yourself and that you have to continue to build you your reputation. You do. Like your relationship with the media, like your relationship with Rachel Nichols or Woj is your relationship Correct. no matter where you go, right? Correct. Does it make it exponentially easier to pitch from the league versus pitch from somewhere else? Sure, but it's still your relationship. I heard something years ago. And, and it took a long time to dawn on me. There's a value at working at a major brand in a major company in that sense, in that at the end of your email address, you have MBA.com. You know people are going to reply to you. Sure. You, people are not going to ignore you. I'm sure that the people that work for GE feel the same way in NBC and all that. Right. But at the same time, when you're dealing at that level, you're really not dealing for yourself. I mean, you're always an ambassador for whatever company you're working for. I think it carries a lot more weight at the NBA and a lot more responsibility. It also comes with, a, like we were saying before, a lot less freedom. I can't go out and pitch a certain story if it's not approved all the way down the line. Sure. Right? So that's the so, distinction you're saying, right? That's the right? distinction. Right. Now you have autonomy where it's like, I'm doing this story, right? Now I can find, and you know, I'll give you an example. We, because this is the 75th season, I'm getting a lot of requests from major news outlets to talk to guys that were named to the 75 or left off the 75 to get their perspective sure. on it. Everybody and their mother this, this season has an, opinion, yeah. has an opinion and has made their own list. And that's one of the great things about making a list like this is that it does create this debate. Yeah. But if I was at the league and I would get a request, I don't know, for say Elvin Hayes or I would get a request for, for Dr. J, 
the line to get to them is long. And by the time they get to one, it loses timeliness. Second, a lot of times the message doesn't get conveyed the right way. This is a little bit more one-on-one, I think. And what I get, and you know, this is strictly my opinion, from the legend's point of view, I think that they prefer it that way. It's a little less bureaucracy, a lot less red tape. It's very simple. Listen, you know, Julia Serving, would you mind doing this interview? If you want to do it, we can connect you to the reporter. If you don't want to do it, we can politely decline. And I get a lot more. It's like, hey, you know, it's great to know that. Just handle it. Give me my phone number or set up a conference call. Or is it the NBA a little bit, be a little bit more entailed? But I think I think in every industry that's going to hold true. Yeah, you know, for sure. My, my wife is an accountant. She's worked for giant firms, and getting stuff done just takes a little bit longer because there's a lot more. I don't want to say at stake, but there's a lot more people involved and a lot more. Uh, I would say there. like big companies and corporate America is like a big robot. Like they're huge. And intimidating and quote unquote get things done, but they're not fluid or flexible. Like they can't touch their toes, right? Like I said, that's like my analogy I use, right? Like, and I work at a small company. Like when you work at a small company, we all have to be resourceful, right? We got to be able to touch our toes. So I, I totally get that distinction. And I think we're similar spirits in that we both prefer the flexibility. You right? and I, you and I are not exactly the prototypical office guys. Okay, so yo, so let me ask you that question. Right. Yes, and I definitely agree with you on that. So then as a not prototypical office guy, as you self-describe yourself and what I know about you, and a guy who had to work in PR or works in PR. So PR is a lot of times diplomacy, Correct. right? Correct. How did you navigate that at the league? Like, like, I remember when I met you, right? I met you in the DR, Dominican Republic, on a basketball without borders Correct. thing. And you came up to us at dinner. You got this long hair. And you're just talking to us. And we hit it off right away, right? But So I'm like, oh, this dude's dope. How is this guy in PR? Like, most PR people I meet, very, very, like, diplomatic approach. Very, very, like... God, I, I don't want to disrespect any publicist out there, but very cookie cutter, right? Like, And a lot of times it's like... They're not even pitching as much as they're defending. Like, how did you navigate with your personality and your role at the league, balancing what yeah what they what the expectations of big company and PR is versus your own personality? I think what helped me probably more than anything, and I thought it was a detriment for a long time, that I did not have the traditional PR upbringing. Right. So I didn't go to school for PR. Right. I went to school for music, audio recording. Right. Typically, when you go to school for public relations, communications, marketing, in that vein, like you said, they're cookie cutters, right? So this is this is what works. This is what what you should look like when you're on. Well, they're soldiers, Avenue. whatever the word. I, again, I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone, but like you got to follow the rules, yeah. right? So for me, because I came in as an audio engineer, I came in as a project employee that was basically doing a glorified intern's job in crisis communication. Oh, this is when you when you first got to when the I, when I okay. first started. It was very remote. I was never in the office. And then, listen, I know the way I look. I know the way I act. That when I first came in, that they would look at me like, you know, why do we have Metallica sitting in here? Or or, or, as you call me, HBK here. Why why, why do we have him here? I got advice very early on. And it was, be yourself. I can't be somebody else. I can't come across as somebody that, you know, was Harvard educated or that, you know, this is how I approach pitching a story. For me, I try to break it down to the most basic element. You're a reporter. You're looking for content. What is it that you're interested in? If it's something that we can match up, great. If not, here's my contact info. When you do have something that we can match up on, please feel free to bounce ideas off of me, and I'll bounce ideas off of you. I get turned down more pitches than actually accepted. Of course. That's the game. But those turndowns, 
are building blocks to the next story. Sure. You know, I've worked with major reporters where I've pitched a story on an NBA Cares event or we're launching a new, the NBA was launching a new store in Latin America where they would tell me, it's like, you know, that's not for me now, but let me put you on the back burner over here. And then they come back, it's like, hey, listen, I know that Manu Ginobili is doing something. Can you help with something Latin America based? Right. And then you start building and you build your relationships. And that's, you know, like, you kind of learn everything you really need to know in kindergarten. I thought be nice to people, right? Be nice to <laughs> <Right>. people. <laughs> Read, write. If you're upfront with people and don't have an angle when you're pitching media, sure. I've always felt it that for me it works. Now, that's not to say that it works for everybody. Right. There's guys that are super polished that they look at me and they're like, I could never talk to a reporter like that. And for me, it's like I could never write an email the way that you write it to pitch a story because of my age. I'm, I'm 47. And when I started here – you I, look good for 47. Thank you very much. Thank you very Cuban much. Blood, man. It is. That yeah. in the ocean. But I love that piece of advice. Like, be yourself. And that's hard when you're young because, one, you're still trying to find yourself. But, two, like, then having the confidence that this is acceptable Absolutely. to be myself. But that's really, really when good When you first come in, and I've seen it with the, with the younger ones when they come in, when you first come in and you're trying to be somebody uh, that you're not – I've always felt that the people with a half a brain can see through that, you know? Right. And, and I, I can't bullshit you like that. Right. You know, I can bullshit you other ways, but I can't bullshit right. you that way. Right. Okay. So you and I both have unique relationships with media members. And obviously, whoa, just taken off a lot of it because of Twitter. Like, I've known Adrian since he was at the Bergen Record, right? Pre-Yahoo. Yeah. And obviously, Twitter has accelerated his fame for lack of a better way of saying it and has created fame for other people right whether it's josiah we just talked about or other people right what's your take on social media elevating media members and or like non-traditional media people now have like voices nba twitter is a real thing correct right and Everyone has a podcast. Everyone's got a Twitter handle. And it's not the old days where like, you know, you had to like be on the beat and then you got to you gotta grind Correct. there and then you get this national Correct. job, whatever. Like what's your take on like sort of the acceleration of media because of social media? Uh, a natural progression, but a necessary evil at the same time, right? So in terms of elevating the media – First off, everybody's media, and I tell my kids this too. You got a phone, everybody's media, because it's got a camera, it's got a microphone. And, yeah, it's and you, a new and thing. You, yeah. you can, any, any one of us can, can go out and broadcast, and you're in the right place at the right time, you can become a superstar with right, it. Right, right. The downside to it, and I've always felt this, and I felt this from very on, is that it tends to group people and have them trend towards a mob mentality. It's very yeah. easy to yell out, so take social media out of it. It's very easy to sit at Madison Square Garden and yell at an opposing player, you suck, your mother's a fucking this or, the, or that. Because there's no face attached to it. What are they going to do, right? right? I think that Twitter and social media lend itself to that. Everybody has an yeah, opinion and I you, and you can put it out there. Now, very easy to get in trouble with social media. But in terms of for media, I thought it was a natural progression because you went from writing on the beat to now you don't have to do that. You can get your message out. It's really the the crux and the beginning of direct-to-consumer. I don't need to go buy the New York Post. I can just get it from Mark Berman. I don't need to do this. I can just get it right from, from somebody else's Twitter feed. Same thing. It makes celebrities out of people. I think – I don't want to say that it should be tamp, tamped down because it's – 
it's doing what it's supposed to do, which is get everybody's opinion out there. At the same time, it's really hard to cut through the noise that's yeah. there. Yeah. But in terms of guys like Woj, I mean, look, it's made careers. It's made careers for, for reporters that print reporters are dinosaurs for a while. Yep. This was their new life. Yeah. Um, look, and we've got some great talents that came out of it. Shams has come out of it, all the ESPN guys. Josiah it, is Josiah, brilliant. Josiah. Like, he's so funny. He's hysterical. Yeah. You know, and he's engaging and his fans engage with him. And you get to create your own little universe with it, which is great. I still think it's something that has to be handled with care because there's certain people out there that are completely reckless with it. Very easy for, on the PR side, very easy for a story to spin out of control because that's the ultimate rumor mill, right? Yeah. You know, that's the ultimate game of telephone. I hate the trolls. I hate it. it. I hate all of the trolls. And you know, like, I, you know what else I hate? I hate Twitter beef. I hate like recently, like I saw two reporters going at it, two blue check marks going at yeah. it. And one guy like literally got out of his mouth, like got personal with it, right? And I hate all of this because to your point, like th there's no repercussions. You're just yelling and That's it's, it. it's, it's annoying. Well, right. let's look at TV right now. I mean, TV is – any show is just two screaming heads at each other. It, right. it literally is what it is. Right. Confrontation sells, man. Confrontation yeah. and sex sell. Yeah. Yeah. I got to learn how to use the mute and block button on Twitter. <laughs> you know? I, gotta, I, I actually don't know how to use any of that yeah. stuff. But I, I tweet a lot, but I just don't like yeah. it. I don't troll, and and anytime any conversation starts going in that direction, I exit the room. Like, I I'm I'm with you on that. I but because I don't think I'm witty enough to do it, I'll put it out there. And it's like ah oh, shit. I'm this witty enough in real fuck. life. I'm not this. I'm not witty on the bird app, yeah. but I'm witty in real life. Yeah. And I'm also like not afraid of confrontation in real life. Yeah. I just hate that like there's no real confrontation here. Yeah. Anyways, let's get off of that because that. That's a dark <laughs> rabbit hole that it is. I don't think anybody finds interesting. Okay, so we both have great relationships with media. I think you're a person I can talk to about this. I, I don't want to dive too deep into it because I think it's like still a little sensitive. The Rachel Nichols, Maria okay. Taylor thing, yeah. right? Like I, I have a relationship with both of them. I wouldn't say that I'm friends with either one of them. I like both of them. I've had great experiences with both of them. And I don't even want to make it a Rachel versus Maria thing. I guess it's more like, what's your take on what happened? And like, how do we, as a NBA media community, move forward? Because the reality of the situation is, uh, okay, the reality of the situation, in my opinion, I guess, is one, I think she, Rachel Nichols is excellent at her job. Great reporter. Great reporter specifically for the league, right? Like... At some point, I think there was no doubt she's going to win the Kirk Gowdy Award, right? Like, I think she's like that type of like reporter. But she got canceled, right? We're in cancel culture. She got canceled, whether it was justified or not. I guess everyone has an opinion. What's your take on like, okay, does all of my stuff go away now because I said one thing that so falls right into it's, cancel it's, it's culture? Funny, it's funny you say that because I happened to be at the finals when this whole thing went down. When it broke? When it broke. Right. When it broke. Because uh, we it went down, like ESPN, I guess, held it for a year, right? Or like, uh, New, York, New, York, New York Times held it for a year, and they came out. ESPN apparently knew about it. I don't know the ins and outs of right. ESPN, whether they did or not. Here's, for, for me, good relationship with the two of them. I know them both. It's not like, hey, call each other up, but like very, very professional, courteous relationship. Sure. They've always said hello to me, always been super right. pleasant. Rachel, more so because she's been covering the league more. so yeah, so sure. long, been at every event with Rachel. You know, right. there's plenty of media hospitality. And she's working. She's working. Working. Like, working. Constantly yeah. working. Yeah. So there's no third rail in this country like racism. And I thought 
for me, because I do know them both, I thought that it was a cheap low blow by the New York Times to hold a story really? when the eyes of the world are on the NBA Finals. Now, the PR guy in me is like, if you're not going to hold it for when the most eyeballs are on it, why, why right. the fuck are you holding it? Right. right. That's when you go. Right. I That's when you, you go. You know, your job is to sell newspapers. Let, right. Let's look at it. For Rachel, I, I thought that she was done wrong because somebody that has earned it. Like she has, right? Yeah. She's been on the field at Lambeau in the pouring rain. She, the first time I met her, she was working for the Washington Post on a Saturday yeah. afternoon covering Georgetown St. John's yeah. games. Like, yeah, she's, she, she's yeah. been where she had to be. So has Maria. Now, Maria has really made a name for herself, a fantastic talent in her own right. Super talent. So, you know, if I'm looking at it, if I'm ESPN, how do we do it? I think that maybe you try, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So you try to do a smooth transition from one to the other. If it's something that you're not going with Rachel anymore, then you know what? As somebody that's been there a long time, I think as a company, you owe it to her to say, listen, this is the direction we're going in. Maybe we phase you out or we steer you in a different direction. Not to take anything away again from Maria, Maria's made her name in various sports, in football, yeah, and, yeah, and you know, yeah. she's she's been on Sports Center, she's covered it as Rachel has. Basketball was really like Rachel's thing. And it was really it struck me as odd because ESPN as a company that's always had this revolving door of talent that does their NBA countdown, whereas TNT is the exact opposite. TNT's right. had those staples. Yeah. I would imagine that ESPN would want to be like Turner in that sense. They that haven't figured it out. They just haven't figured they it haven't out. Figured it but out. you had the one piece here that seemed like it was figured out. The Rachel. one constant through the yeah. whole thing was Rachel. Again, great rapport with the players, great rapport She's with the good teams. Host too. She can handle the good host. Yep. I thought it was a tough spot for I thought it was a tough spot for ESPN. I thought it was a tough spot for the league. I thought it was a tough spot more so for Maria and Rachel because it really what it did is it pitted the two of them against each other. Now, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of conflict and in competition, but I think that this took it to the other extreme. Look, in the end, Maria got a great gig, right? She's at NBC right. now. She got to do the Olympics right after that. I just think it's a stigma. But to answer your question before, does one thing erase everything you did? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't either, think so. I think you take the body like work. That. Yeah, like we're, we're in, an, we're in an age of instant gratification. So you post a picture, you want the likes right away. You send an email, you want a response right away. You get positive or negative reaffirmation on a very quick level now with, you know, I think that the public was like, well, you know, well, she did wrong. It was, right. uh, they, they pitted it white against black, which is the simplest way to really yeah. just start a shit storm here. And, you know, it hurt her in the end. I hope that she comes back bigger and better and stronger yeah, than me ever. Too. Me too. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's not as simple as one side or the other, but I don't want to see good people Kind of get run I hear over, you, man. right? I hear you're right. You. You're, right. you're right about we, all this. Look, okay. we all we all make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, right. you know. And I try to tell my kids this too. Like, you know, you fuck up on this, pick yourself up and do it again. This one, I think, was was such a firestorm that it got out of their control. And um, yeah. you know, somebody pays the price, and it's unfortunate when it's somebody that you know. But you know, I'm pu I'm pulling for them both. I'm pulling for them both to do amazing work, and I know they will. So you know, there's my thought on, on give me uh, give me give me the shitstorm. PR shitstorm that you've ever been like the biggest, the worst, shit, the worst or like so, one that you always remember. Maybe I, who knows how to quantify. I, I remember things. them all because I've been affected personally by them all. So just give you a little bit of background. I've been through every quote unquote scandal since the Kobe rape allegations. Right. So I was there for the Kobe allegations. I was there for the fight, the brawl at the pal, the malice at the palace. Ron Artest and Steven Jackson, Jermaine O'Neal and Ben Wallace being the shit out of each other. And, and, and fans. And fans. That's what elevated it, right? Fans. Like, there's always NBA fights, but so, that's what elevated it. Fans. 
I've been through a racist owner. I've been through a gambling referee. I went through yeah. one tweet in Hong Kong and China. Um, don't even get me started. You know, I went through. Don't the even pa- get me started yeah, on Daryl Moore. I, I, I went through the that passing tweet cost of Kobe. me so much money. You know, props to Kobe. You know, yeah. maybe my favorite to work with all time. The worst shitstorm for me. There's two, and for me, it's a tie because Donaghy, the gambling scandal. The hard part about that one is that that one hit the integrity of the game, yep. right? So how do you defend that? How do you defend that when, you know, and I'll give him props. Rashid Wallace called this years ago, called it years ago, and, and Donaghy specifically, right? He confronted him after a game saying that he was on, he, he was crooked. You can't prove it at that point. The FBI came in. They, they you know, they, they, they found the And Sheed is such a crazy person it's like come on Sheed right yeah. like he's not the right it's easy to dismiss right, but right. he you know he, he was called on it. it yeah he was he on call, it he called it that one because it struck at the integrity of the league and it was literally everybody in the media was like oh really so you mean that the Kings were right about that game right, right. where they lost to the Lakers you mean game that Pat seven, Riley yeah. yeah that Pat Riley and, and uh, Phil Jackson wasn't just gamesmanship they were really you know there was some serious concerns about the officiating but having been through all of that and the fixing of it that one was tough because it hit at the heart of the game. Right. The racist scandal with Donald Sterling was a whole nother beast completely. And that, that Hold was on, before an- you move on to that, isn't it like interesting, I think it's the right word, or maybe ironic. So that what I, I hear you on Donahue, that like now all leagues, including the NBA, are partnering with sports gambling. Yes. Right? Like, isn't it so interesting that like we've come so like to me, we've come so far with super, this. Super. Right? Super. That we're liberal about sports gambling yep. now, right? Like, I mean, it started at the Supreme Court level, right? Because they ruled it Correct. legal. And now it's state by state. And each state, if we're calling a spade a spade a spade, like they're doing it for money, right? Like there's so much money. Like New York just passed it because they're getting 51% tax. Money talks, it. man. Bullshit walks. I know. Yeah. Money talks because they're literally giving more than half. That's how much they, they know they're going to make yep. on this. Yep. So isn't it interesting that like we went from integrity of the game with gambling and sports gambling? to like, no, let's be partners with these people. So there's two ways of looking at the integrity of the game. One is you outlaw anything to do with gambling, right? But it's always going to happen in the black market. Of course. Okay. Or you open it up. Yeah. And regulate. Open it up and regulate. You did it with alcohol. You're doing it with weed across the country. Do it with gambling. When Adam wrote that op-ed for for the New York Times, I I remember reading it. We read early versions of it and then when it came we're out we're talking now Donald Sterling no with, uh, with the gambling okay. we're opening up gambling and regulating it. let's bring okay. it out of the light and you know bring it out of the dark and into the light Okay, probably the best thing you could have done because it, at that point it normalizes it at that point everybody across the country is like you're doing it anyway Yeah, you know my wife who you know lives in a sports house is not a sports fan but she'll play boxes for the Super Bowl, right? right? She'll gamble for the Super Bowl. Right. Why not? The Super Bowl is our biggest national holiday here. It's bigger. It's bigger than Christmas. It's bigger it's than like, it's like alcohol in the sense that as long as it doesn't get out of control and it's up to the in- yeah. individual to not let it get out yeah. of control, like it's okay. And here's the other side of it: that even if it does get out of control, there's an industry built into that in and of itself. There's, there's an industry to feed you gambling and alcohol and drugs, and there's an industry to cure you from alcohol, right. gambling, and drugs. Right. So I, I think it's one of these Vegas things where the house wins. It's all gambling anyway, right? Right, right, right. Um, but no, with with the Sterling, getting back to the Sterling stuff and the difference between that and the Donaghy issue was that Sterling was a, was an avalanche of news. This is the first real – I say the first real 
Twitter world where we had to manage it from a PR standpoint was probably the 2011 lockout because all the guys were already getting on Twitter and they were they were tweeting from the from yeah. the lobbies. But that's also a distinction between that and the Donahue thing. Like yeah. social media wasn't as big. It wasn't when, as yeah, big. Right. So the Sterling news was. I'll, I'll never forget when it came out. I'll never forget when any of them happened. But when the when the Sterling news came out, it was literally an avalanche of news. I remember my kids wanting to go out. We were going out. We were going to go the beach or part, you know, me, I'm a beach guy. So yeah. we were probably going to go surf or something. And uh, it came out on TMZ. I get the call. Hey, it's, it, it's, the news is out. I remember sitting in, in my office at home at the time, transcribing the TMZ, the 18 minutes, 19 minutes, whatever it was, the tape, the tape. Yeah. and then sending updates to one, my bosses, the, the communications group, to the lawyers, eventually oh looping God. in, you know, deputy commissioners and, and commissioners. So this was... You know, look, I, at the end of the day, I think because it was Adam's first real crisis as after he came in, a lot of people didn't know who he was when he came out of that press conference and right, it really right. made him, really made him. And it got to show how Adam is. So that that's Adam right there. Adam is the great bringer of people together, yeah, right? He brings yeah. people together. He's the, the consensus builder. And I think it showed what he's made of, that he was ready for the job. Yeah, he, he, he passed a, a he, really hard test he early passed on. Test. He yeah. passed the test. He, he got thrown into the fire yep. and he came out yep. you know, better for it. It made his name. Everybody knew who he was after yep. that. He league. was on the right side of history, all correct, that stuff. Correct. Yep, yeah, for sure. and, you know, and they're leaning towards a progressive league, uh, which they've only gotten much more progressive. And people can debate whether they're too progressive or not, but I think that that was the beginning of it. But the sterling news was the avalanche of news. I mean, when you have Don Lemon talking about it 30, 40 yeah, nights sure. in a row, yeah. you know, uh, Anderson Cooper doing interviews with Sterling in prime time. Right, come on, man, and you know, and you have major names involved in this. You got you know an LA team number number two media market. It's fodder for them, man. For, yeah, for the media, for sure. they, it is like throwing raw meat to the dogs. So, yeah, yeah. you know, they came out of it well. I mean, they, they, it looks like they're going to have something similar happen over here too with Phoenix and maybe, maybe. Okay, uh, so I want to touch Portland. on that a little bit because I don't want to speculate too much because I more want to talk about media, but. I actually talked to Jeff Silgit about this, okay. Jeff Silgit of USA Today, okay. and he made a good point. His point was, one, there's a lot of like testimony in the Sarver thing, whereas the Sterling thing was like hard evidence, yeah. right? The tape was hard evidence. Correct. The history of like- Couldn't hide from it. It was there. The housing stuff, like there was literal evidence yep. against Sterling, right? Then the other point he made to me was, and this was interesting- Adam Silver's job, he reports to the owners at the end of the day, right? His salary is paid by the owners, right? Adam's job is not to run the league. Adam's job is that of an investment banker, to grow the value of the franchises right. and the league. And kicking owners out over what minor or major transgressions, depends on how you want to quantify it, is not a good look for him, right? Like it would discourage other owners from wanting to work with the league, right? Or the potential owners, right? So like- that's actually like a point I didn't think about, right? Because I don't know if it's that easy to kick everybody out every time they mess up. I don't know right? if that's the business that he should be in. Right. You know, and, and during the Sterling thing, Cuban, Mark Cuban said something very interesting. He's like, great. All right. So you want to get rid of this guy. Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line, right? right. So you're, you're on a slippery slope right now. I think that was the exact phrase that he used. Like, where do you draw the line at ousting or, or getting rid of the people that 
you know, have invested in in your right. product over here and have built arenas. I mean, granted, a lot of this was city money and all that, but but they've built arenas. No. They've they've paid the franchise fee right. to come in here. They're part of growing this league grow. Yeah. Um, Without the owners, we don't have a league the way we want the league, right? It, so. Look, it, it's a symbiotic relationship, and this always comes out whenever they have this, the CBA discussions. Who's more important, the owners or the players? And you know what? It's 50-50 because without right. a place to play – you can be the greatest player in the world. You ain't playing. Right. At the same time, you can have the most beautiful arena in the world. If you don't Without have anybody to the play, they ain't fucking yeah. playing. Yeah, yeah, right. So when they did it last time, when they split the revenue 50-50, I thought, look, it's the simplest way to do it, but it's also the right way to do it. It, it has to be a partnership. Has to has to be a partnership between the league and the players' union. Has to be a partnership between the players and the owners. Has to be a partnership between the NBA and the fans. Yeah. So if you're in partnership with all these people, never mind the sponsors and all that, because they're paying to be part of your, your world over here. In order to get that product to fruition and have the garden filled or have Barclays filled or, or the United Center it's got to be an all-around partnership between between everybody. Yep. I think they're in a good shape with this one. I mean, let's see how the next CBA discussions you, go. You still come off as a PR guy for the league with that whole partnership. But so you, that you was know, it's accurate what you said, yeah. but it was it was very PR. You you, you you have to understand. And one thing that I I learned though, it's, spokesperson. It's very easy to sit on one side and, and shit on the other, right. right? The one thing that I did learn over there, and this is this is from David and from Adam, and it trickles down through the organization that there there is a mantra there to look at things from all sorts of different angles, right? So you and I could be negotiating over this cup of water or this microphone. You may want it more than I want to sell it, but let's find the common ground right. in there. If we can both walk away with it being like, that wasn't that great of a deal, that's how you know it's a good deal. I was just going to say that. that. I thought you were going to go both, the positive way. No, no. That to me is the best negotiation. We both, both feel like we you, didn't win. You yep. walk away like, I didn't win, but right. I didn't lose. Right, right, right? right. That, That's how you know it's a good deal. When somebody walks away, like if you and I do a deal and you walk away laughing, it's like, you got the better of me. Right. I, that's not a good deal. No, yep. it's not a good deal. Okay, so I, I want to end on this. You've been around. You did say... Someone gave you advice about just be yourself. And yes. I know you. You yes. are yourself. Like, it's part of the reason why I gravitated to you early on mm. and we became friends. Like, I thought it was the hair. <laughs> no, it was definitely wasn't the hair. I mean, I had a lot of fun with you and DR uh, socially, but like, I just like, I'm this person. Like, I, I like you, real man. people. Like, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work for me. That was a fun trip. No? Yeah, that was a really, <laughs> we'll save the stories for off, off the record. That was a really good yeah. trip. And I wish I could do more of those. So, one piece of advice that you learn and then I imagine you tell people is like be yourself. What's another piece of advice that you would give like 25-year-old person coming up in this industry like do it this way? Like or, or I don't even know if you have people under your wing now but like what what's the sort of like mantra that you simplest, would approach? Simplest way. It's not who you know, it's who knows you. So network. Network, network, network. Now, you don't have to be that person that every time you go to an event, you hand somebody your resume and your right, business card. Right. That's actually quite annoying. Which is super annoying because I don't want that. I'm out here having dinner or I'm having a drink or, right, or whatever, right. and now you're going to load me up with, with cards. And I don't, I don't want to empty my pockets at the end of the night with, with right. business cards. But I do want to know who you are, right? So it's always come down to networking for me. At the events, let people know that you're there. You don't know everything. They don't know everything. Right. Ask questions. Yep. Right? Ask questions. That's my big one. I yeah. say, I tell people, be curious. Like, yeah. Actually be curious. Learn. About, yeah. So, you know, we're all egotistical in one way or another. And one thing that I did get great advice with at the NBA was when you talk to a reporter for the first time, I mean, know what they wrote. They yeah. like to hear that. They, yeah. they, they took the time to post it and to write it and to send it to for the sure. editor and, and pour over what they were going to write. 
make sure you know what they wrote. You know, if I'm a reporter and, and a 24, 25-year-old young PR coordinator comes up to me and tells me, hey, by the way, that article you wrote yesterday on such and such thing or the game or your game notes, you know, that to me is like, hey, that's a little bit no of, a, of, a, of a rub job for me. Little, yeah. yeah, there's ego, but it's also it shows that I'm actually reading this it stuff. It shows right? I'm reading yeah. it. I know the name. I know the face, right? Like that actually worked for me young early on when I met Mike Weiss for the first time. I walked up to him and I was like, hey, I read all your stuff. Yeah. Like, And they, he's like, how do you even know what I look like? No, right? no but yeah. I, I know. I sought right. you out. So be eager. Learn. Surround yourself with the best people. They're like, they, you know, it always goes... I had an old music teacher tell me this, like with the Beatles, like the Beatles in their own right weren't great musicians, but they surrounded themselves with the best and it brought out the best in them. Get involved, you know, sometimes and, and go into any project that you do. Sometimes, you know, you have to be Michael Jordan sometimes and sometimes you got to be Scottie Pippen. Sometimes, right. sometimes you got to be the wingman, yeah. right? Don't be afraid to do the grunt work. Don't be afraid to be Rodman and get in there and grab 15 rebounds during the game. You know, you're never going to get a pass back to you. That's how you build trust within your team. And then you see pieces start falling into it. All of a sudden, you're, you're in an event, you know, and Michael Wilbon, hey, how are you, young fella? Or you see a Sam Smith. Hey, I remember I saw you at that event. You helped me with this. Can you help me with that? What's your name? And then you start building. It's, it's building on the foundation that you first create. But I always remember that. It's, it's not who – everybody knows who LeBron is, but does LeBron know who you are? Right. If LeBron sees you, will he be like, hey, what's up? Or will he just, you're just another face in the crowd? I've always prided myself that people have seen me enough that, you know, they may not know my name. They may not know what I do, but they're like, yo, dude, that, that motherfucker's here all the time. Yep. He's here all the time. Okay. So where can we find you on social? Where can we find the Retired Players Association? Like – Give a little shout out there. On the web, legendsofbasketball.com, and on social, at NBA Alumni, Twitter, Instagram, NBA Alumni on Facebook. Check it out. The Twitter stuff is really good. We also have at NBA Legends Lounge. Did you just say the web? Do we still the say web. the web? The web, the interwebs. <laughs> the, the, the net. The, the interwebs. Net. Julio, a.k.a. HBK, that's what I call you. The inside story is that Julio looks exactly like Shawn Michaels. I literally have you in my phone as HBK. <laughs> um, HBK, you're the best. I appreciate you. I appreciate the friendship. I love talking shop with you. Thanks Same for here, it. buddy. Thanks for doing that. Same here, man. The Black Box Podcast is not possible without the team. The show is produced by Gotham Podcast Studios in New York City. Special shout out to Raul Hernandez. Creative Director, Alana Rodriguez. Video Editor, Paul Aspen. Music by Ye Ali. All photos by Jonathan Gabriel Charles, designed by Lineage Digital. <laughs>